I grew up in an alcoholic house, uh, an abusive house, and and I ran as soon as I turned 18. Uh, I talked Di into marrying me, and we ran hard and fast. And uh, <clears throat> in, in running, why, you know, you just grab what you can. But I didn't grab, I, I didn't grab the right stuff. I had all the wrong things driving me, you know, an insecurity, uh, you know, not feeling like I was good enough as a kid. Uh, <clears throat> when you're living alcoholic, you'll never be good enough because you're not alcohol. Now, when we got married at a young age, we probably, we didn't go to church. We didn't do those things. You know, we were off in Europe doing military stuff. And, you know, we just had gotten a spot where, where it was just, life was out of control. And she turned to God and I turned to my coffee and paper, <laughs> you know, my day off. And uh, was too busy with the, the other stuff in life. My wife and I uh, were settled uh, in Southern Indiana. and. She decided she was going to start going to church, and I said, that's fine. Just be ready so we can have breakfast uh, when you get back. She was such a steady, mature follower. It's not trying to push or pull or yank or anything. She just led from a place of a mature believer follower. Every time she left, I got more curious, the honest side of it, because I was like, why is that more important than me? Or my coffee or my breakfast or whatever. Now, finally, it got the best of me and I just got up one morning and got ready. Was gonna join her. I said, she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I figured if you're gonna, if you're gonna go, I wanna have breakfast with you sooner, so if I go with you, I can get it sooner. There was a sermon series, I remember well, it was called, uh, That's Gonna Leave a Mark. Our pastor was going over a series of, uh, going over the Gospel of Mark. And honestly, for the first several weeks, I sat in the back and cried because I got to know Jesus for the first time. You know, that was probably the salvation moment for me. Uh, you know, just as I, I had to recognize that I'm so imperfect. I had to go before God and just be undone in front of Him. But it, but it wasn't a place of shame. It wasn't a place of fear. It was a place of assurance and reassurance over and over again because when I said, when I just called out God's name and, and, and I just poured my heart out, my, my shortcomings, my failures, it was just, it was as well the stuff that came out, but it wasn't replaced with shame or blame or any of the guilt. It was filled with love and God gave that to me. I had to be undone to be redone right. My whole life changed. God took over and I sat down. Cleansing came, peace came, because I wasn't tormented. I wasn't struggling with what's next. It was already there. I didn't have to worry about what was next. I got to enjoy the present. I don't have the same things driving me. It's not about, it's not about moving up anywhere. You know, it's about being at peace somewhere, about being where God needs me to be, not where I want to be. You just have to be where God is and be, do what He's doing. Well, it's an issue of surrender and belief. Because I believe that if I operate from the space he's in, then I'm in the right place. I get up every day thinking, what's God got planned for me today? And that's a great place to be. I just have to be present and ready. Amen. Good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Are you doing well? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are excited to be here this morning? Amen. You excited? I'm excited. Let me just say I am very, very excited about you being here today and uh, so excited I can hardly stand it. And you're probably wondering, well, why am I so excited that you're here? And the reason that I'm excited that you're here is because I believe that God wants to do something unbelievable in your life this morning. I believe that. How many of you believe that this morning, that God wants to, to do something in your life this morning? I, I truly believe that. You know, every single day, and I'm not exaggerating here, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it like it is, but every single day, I have at least one person who shares with me the struggles of just feeling overwhelmed or stressed, or burdened by the things of this life. 
Every single day I have people who come to me, maybe it's just one on one day, maybe it's 10 on a day, but every day someone shares with me just how stressful life can be. And so, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the reality that, that being overwhelmed and being that stressed and being just anxious about life, how it has such an effect on our relationships, it has such an effect on our families, it has an effect on our jobs, it has an effect on every aspect of our life. And as I think about that, I couldn't be more excited about turning to God's Word this morning and kicking off a series called Simplify. The subtitle of this series is Six Steps to Finding Peace. Six Steps to Finding Peace. And I would almost, I would almost guarantee that if I were to ask how many of you feel like you need this message, that it would be an overwhelming response. Because the reality is we, every one of us, deal with something. This is one of the most relevant series, I think, that we've gone through in a long time. And so I'm, I'm very excited about diving into this this morning. I'm excited about what God wants to do in our life. And I believe, I believe with all assurance that this morning, God wants to do something so unbelievable in your heart that you're going to walk out of here different than you came in. I believe that. So let's pray and we're going to dive into God's word because that's where we're going to find the answers to what we're looking for this morning and, uh, and, and let's just pray that God would open our hearts and our minds and our ears that we would hear not just from some loud, crazy preacher, but, but from him. And so let's pray for that this morning. Let's prepare our hearts for the voice of God. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, Father, for all that you are. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Father, we are so thankful for every single blessing that you bestow upon us. And God, we recognize that one of those blessings is peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. And so Father, I pray that today as we prepare to launch a new series, as we prepare to to dive into your word and seek the answers for how we can discover this peace. God, I pray that you would help us to place aside every distraction in our life. May we not be thinking of anything else this morning than what your word wants to teach us. And Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that our our minds would be prepared and our hearts would be prepared to hear from you. As you speak deeply into our hearts, as you stir our souls, God, as as we hear from you, I pray, Father, that our lives will be transformed and changed forever. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we need you in our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Very recently ago, I, I, start, I watched this documentary titled Minimalism. And it was about two guys, one guy named Josh Milborn and the other guy named Ryan Nicodemus. And it was about these two guys that set out on this, this journey, if you will, to simplify their life. They wanted to get rid of the, the clutter in their life. They wanted to get rid of all that stuff in their life that really just wasn't important. And they were tapping into something that is a bit of a movement in our world today because I believe we are living in such a complex, busy, overwhelming world today that these two men just said, I've had enough. And so they they wanted to simplify their life. They wanted to strip away all that really wasn't important. Now this film, it doesn't really have any sort of spiritual implication. It's not about that at all. It's just these men getting rid of the stuff in their life. But as I watched this documentary, as I, as, I, as I watched these men just get down to where they were basically living on the very bare necessities of life, I began to think about the implications that this sort of thing had to do with the Christian life and the Christian walk. Because there is so much clutter in our lives these days, because there is so much stuff in our lives these days, and because we live in one of the most busiest, most divisive, most uh, just profound times of our day, where, where, where there just seems to be so much confusion that we often find ourselves experiencing anxiety 
and worry and this sense of over, being overwhelmed that just is really affecting our lives as believers. Oftentimes as believers, we, we, we come to a place where we begin to misunderstand what the, what the important stuff is. Because we have so much of the other stuff in our life. And so this morning we're going to be diving into God's word. And we're going to be looking at what it means to discover redemption. You know the question this morning that I want to sort of throw out as a, as a springboard into this message is. If we were truly looking for peace in our life. If we're truly looking for the kind of peace in our life that goes beyond our greatest expectations. The Bible describes the peace that Jesus offers to us is the peace that surpasses all understanding. If we are truly looking for that kind of peace, then what is it that we need to know? We, 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 what, is, what is the first step of finding that kind of peace? So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin there. This is going to be our text today, verses 5 through 9 of, of Ephesians 1. Discovering redemption. It, you know, if we're looking for peace, the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding, the, the kind of peace that we really, truly long for when we recognize that our lives are filled with anxiety and clutter, when we're looking for peace, then we must first understand and know the source of that kind of peace. We must understand where that kind of peace comes from. And so this morning, the starting point of this series is to take a look at redemption or to discover redemption. You know, as a father, as a believer, as a husband, as a, as a pastor, I believe that inner peace, the kind of peace that I'm looking for, it only comes from one source. I believe the kind of peace that, that I'm looking for comes from my Savior, and so I, I believe that with all of my heart. And, and I believe that, that in a world that is filled with violence and racism and divisiveness and all the things that we see in the news and on social media these days, the, the things that just seems to be destroying the world, uh, peace, like what we may be looking for, may seem like something that is hard to grasp. With lives that are filled with anxiety and worry, and suffering, and pain. It may feel sometimes like the kind of peace that we would love to have is unobtainable. But the Word of God teaches us something else. This morning, I want to re-examine the gospel with you. I want us to take another look at what the gospel teaches us. Because I believe this is so important. The gospel, it literally means good news. But here's, here's something I want us to think about as we prepare to dive into God's word this morning. For good news, which is what the gospel means, the gospel literally means good news. For good news to be good news at all, then it must collide first with bad news, Right? Otherwise, it wouldn't really be good news, it'd just be news. It, you see, good news has to come into and impact somehow the bad news in our life. And in our lives, if it's anything like mine, it's probably filled with bad news. There's always bad news in our life. Not that there's not great news too, but there's, there's always the presence of bad news. But what makes news good is when it collides with the bad news. A few years ago, Linnell had a a stomach bug, and she was sick for a few days, and finally she was beginning to feel a little better, and we got her in there to the, to the breakfast room, and I sat her down, and I began to fix her some soup and, and, and get her some Gatorade and those kinds of things, and, and for whatever reason, she, I guess she just wanted to cook it or something. I don't know. She, she stood up, and when she did, she, she fainted, and she went down. I mean, like a tree in the forest goes down. She just went... Boom, you know, and she, her head hits the, the, the floor and she is out. She is unconscious. And that's when I really begin to realize how serious 
of, of a shape she was in. So I, I get her up and I get her to the car and I rush down to the emergency room and I, I begin to tell them what had happened. My wife passed out. She's, she's been sick for a few days. And, and so they begin to get some IV in her, get some fluids in her, which is what she really needed more than anything else. And they, they came to us and they said, but we want to take a, an MRI on your head because you fell and your husband said your head hit the, the floor. And so we just want to make sure that everything's okay. And so they took her in there for the, the MRI and they came back and we're in the emergency room. And, and suddenly the doctor comes in and he walks in and he says, I have some really bad news. You have a brain tumor. And for any of us here today that have ever received that kind of announcement, it's terrifying. We just sat there just sort of stunned by the bad news that this doctor had brought into us. And so they said, we want to admit you in the hospital. We want to immediately do some more tests and we want to figure out what this is. But you have this brain tumor in it and it most likely could be cancer. They took her up to the room, and over the next few days, they ran some tests. And finally, one day, a new doctor, a different doctor, a, a cancer doctor, he came in, and he sat down, and he says, I got some good news for you. You see, here's the thing we figured out. This isn't a brain tumor. This, what you have is a cyst. It's about the size of an egg. But you have a cyst in your brain, and it's not malignant. It's nothing really you should worry about. In fact, a lot of people, this is going to scare you to death, but a lot of people have cysts in their brain. Now, typically, a cyst the size of an egg in your brain would not be good news. But when it collides with the bad news, when it comes together with the bad news that you could have brain cancer, you could have a tumor inside your brain, it becomes really good news. And so this morning, I want us to dive into this because this is why this is so important. As we look at the gospel, you know, I wonder, well, what is it about the gospel that makes it such good news? And here's what makes it such good news is because it proclaims Jesus and who he is in the midst of bad news. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and you don't have to turn there. We're going to get to our text in just a moment. But Jesus is proclaimed as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an eternal father, and the prince of peace. So in our life, when we have made bad decisions and we are in need of wisdom in our life, and, 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 and because we've made bad decisions and there are consequences to those decisions, and we are dealing with life, knowing that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, is very good news to us. When we find ourselves feeling uh, weak and we feel as though we have no strength, we, we, are, we are scared or fearing life, and, and there just seems to be more fear in our life and more weakness in our life than there is strength, then it feels good and it is good news that Jesus would be a mighty God. Amen? When we begin to worry about the eternity, it's good to know that He is the eternal Father, and when there is anxiety in our life, when there is a lack of peace in our life, it is good news that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus himself even said one time to Thomas, he said this, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace, he says, I give you, and then I love this part, he says, not as the world gives do I give to you the kind of peace? In other words, what Jesus is saying is the kind of peace that I offer is a different kind of peace than, than, than any other source that you may gain peace from. And so one of the most encouraging things to me is I find myself oftentimes worrying is to remember that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and that he has made a promise that he leaves with me peace as he ascends into heaven and he sends his Holy Spirit that I know that I can have the peace that surpasses all understanding because Jesus himself has made this promise to me that he will leave this peace with me. And he says, not only will I leave peace, but I will leave my peace with you. This is such a beautiful thing when we find in our lives that we are needing peace. 
because of whatever bad stuff we may be dealing with. Because of anything that may overwhelm us. So let's re-examine redemption this morning. Let's discover redemption this morning because this is the, this is the starting place for peace. To have the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding, we must first have Christ. And so let's look at this. Here's our text, starting with verse 5, Ephesians 1. We're going to dive into this this morning, discovering redemption. And so it says this, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. In other words, He says, the Father has predestined us to the... Uh, adoption as sons through who? Through Jesus Christ, according to the kind intention of His will, to praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, meaning Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Now let's let's start with this. Because if we're going to discover redemption, let's let's first define redemption. What What is redemption? What does redemption really mean? You know, you can go to a lot of theological books, you can go to a lot of commentaries, you can look it up on Webster Dictionary, and what you're going to see is that a lot of people sort of explain redemption differently. A lot of people define it differently. And so, for our context this morning, what I did is I, I really just sort of came up with my own definition, not because I wanted something different, but because I wanted to take the good stuff from the different ways people defined it, and I wanted to kind of bring it all together. And so this morning, for our context of what we're looking at, I want us to define redemption, and this is how we, re- we define it. It is the feat of being saved from our sins by the action of Jesus paying the price that we owe and thus buying us our freedom from the bondage of sin and rescuing us from sin's consequences. How many of you are thankful for redemption in your life this morning? I am so thankful that Jesus Christ has redeemed me. The word redeem, it literally means to buy out. We sang about earlier, Jesus paying it all. We were singing about redemption, where Jesus was, he, he paid it all. We're going to get into that as we dive into this text this morning. But it's so important that we understand how to define redemption as we look at this amazing truth in God's Word. I love, I love how Wayne Grudem describes those who have been redeemed. He says this, he says, the streets of heaven will be filled with former captives who, though no merit on their own, find themselves redeemed, forgiven, and free. Slaves to sin have become saints. No wonder we will sing a new song, a song of praise to the Redeemer who was slain. I love that. I love that. It's such a beautiful picture of what it means to be redeemed. And And really, it it speaks volume as the context of how we should live our life. Even today, even before we find ourselves passing from this life and entering into an eternal presence with Jesus forever, I believe this describes how we as believers or followers of Christ can live our life when we fully understand the meaning, the power in redemption. And so this morning, let's dive into this. Uh, Redemption is really the very core of Christianity. It's, it's the starting place of Christianity. It is foundational to our faith. And so this morning, I want to offer to you four pieces to the redemption story. You could probably have 10, but I didn't think you wanted to sit here that long. So uh, I, I narrowed it down to four. And, and here's what we get. We get this straight from the text. I mean, here's what we see as Paul was writing to the Ephesians. He, he's given it to us right in the text, these four pieces to the redemption. Redemption story. And the first piece of the redemption story is, of course, 
the Redeemer. The Redeemer. You can't have redemption without a Redeemer, right? And so this is the first piece of the puzzle. And this is where we, we see as our text. It starts off in, in verse 5 with this. It says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to I underline this word predestination. This is a, a different sermon for another day. We don't have time to dive into it. But at the very least, what I want you to understand is, is that this word predestination, it assumes that Jesus was thinking of us before we were ever thinking of him. And that's just a very basic understanding. And so that's why I say Jesus is the first piece to the redemption story, okay? He is the first piece to this story that we are looking at. But the the text starts off and it says this, he predestined us to adoption as sons. In other words, Jesus is thinking about us entering into the family of God as children of God. And he says this, as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, According to the kind intention of his will, look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. The beloved meaning Jesus again. So here the text is pointing over and over and over to Jesus Christ. Now look at this. Verse 7, in him we have what? We have redemption. In him meaning Jesus Christ, our beloved, the Father's beloved Son, in Him, meaning Jesus Christ, we have redemption. Remember how we define redemption? It's the buyout. It's the, it's the paying for something that is owed. And so here we see that Jesus came to this earth. He was born of a virgin uh, mother, and He came to this earth, and And he walked on this earth sinless. And he ultimately, which we're going to talk about in a moment, he went to the cross. He he came to pay the price for what? For our redemption. He is the Redeemer. And there's two things I want to offer to you this morning about that truth that Jesus is the Redeemer. The first one is to say this, that... Jesus paid the price, not us and not anyone else. Jesus paid that price. Let us never get to the place that we think that we are good enough to earn a place in heaven. Let us never get to the place where we think somehow by our own merit, we have been good enough to buy our own debt. No, the scriptures tell us a a totally different story. The scriptures tell us that Jesus and Jesus alone is our Redeemer. We read, as Paul is writing to Titus uh, about Jesus, he says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, it's because of our redemption that we are motivated to good works. We don't earn this. We don't buy this. We don't even pay a payment on this. Jesus came that he would be the one who pays the price and thus becomes our redeemer. The second thing I want to say about this is that there is no other redeemer. There's no other religion that that points to the truth that we see in Scripture that Jesus is the only, the only Redeemer. And in fact, what we see in John 14, 6 is where Jesus declares that He is the only one who is capable of forgiving us for our sin. We read where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father. How? Except through me. Straight out of Jesus' mouth. There's no other way. He's the only way. And so we begin to see that Jesus, if you're here this morning and you're in need of good news in your life, if you're in need of peace, if you're in need of a Redeemer, look no further than Jesus. And in case I forget to 
to mention him, which I will not, but in case I do, any more during the rest of this service, it's right up here on the wall behind me. I guess it's back there, right? Yep, it's there. Jesus. Will you say that with me this morning? Jesus. How many of you believe that Jesus is your Redeemer this morning? This is the first piece to the redemption story. Now, the second piece of the redemption story is the redeemed. If you have a Redeemer and He's come to redeem, then He's apparently redeeming someone, right? And so the second piece of this story is the redeemed. And so as we look into the Scripture, we see, continuing in verse 7, where it says, In Him who? No, you're not looking with me. In Him we have redemption. In Him we I, 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 I like that. You know, you're, you're, we're so focused on Jesus, I say, in him, who? Jesus. I mean, it's just got to be the right answer, right? You're assuming it was a trick question, but we're, we're not talking about the Redeemer just anymore. We're, we're talking about the redeemed. And it says here, in Jesus, in redemption, in him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of whose trespasses? Our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon who? Us. As those who know Christ, as those who love Christ, as those who are disciples of Christ, as those who are followers of Christ, we are the redeemed. You know what it says about us? says we didn't pay the price. Don't ever let that flow from your mouth so lightly ever again when you refer to yourself as the redeemed. We, we didn't pay the price. If there is a redeemer, then the redeemer is the one who bought us out. He is the one who paid our debt. And if we are the redeemed, we're just on the receiving end of things. And so it says here in, in the Scriptures which He lavished upon us. Let, us. let us not miss this. As Christians, we are the redeemed. Now let me, let me just dive into really what that means here. Because we don't get it all just from this text. We have to explore the other passages of Scripture throughout uh, the, the Bible to understand really what it means to, to be redeemed and to, to be those who are the redeemed. Turn with me, if you will, just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to take you there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me and read along with me, if you will. This is what it says about followers of Christ. This is what it says about you and me as believers in Christ Jesus. This is what it says. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once, you see that? Once, all this is in the, pre uh, the, uh, the, the pretext. It's, it's all before something happened in our life, right? We used to be this way. It says here, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But you see, that's the bad news. But then there's good news that collides with the bad news, therefore making it the good news. But God, being rich, in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, you used to be like this. This is who you used to be. This is, this is where your heart belonged. It belonged to to. The enemy, it belonged to the devil. The Bible says that, you know, we're either lovers of God or we're lovers of Satan. That's what the Bible would teach us. And, and there was a time 
as the redeemed where this used to be who we are, where we followed instead of Christ. We followed the ways of the world. We followed the ways of our flesh. But you see, God came into the picture. There's where the good news collides with the bad news. And he transformed us by saving us. And he did that because he was willing to send his beloved to the cross to die there where his blood would atone for our sin. And he did all of that because he cares so deeply for us. We used to be this, but now we're this. Let me show you another one. Turn with me to Titus, Titus chapter 3. Look at verses 3 through 6 here. Paul is writing to Titus, this young preacher of the gospel, and, and he, he wants to remind Titus of something. And he says this, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy. Look at this. Hated by others and hating one another. That's who we used to be as the redeemed, right? It's not who we should be today. It's who we used to be as the unredeemed. And let me just stop right here for a moment. Hated by others and hating one another. Let me just say this in light of all the violent protesting going on in our world today. Let me say this. Disagreement is one thing. And even protest in a peaceful way is, I believe, acceptable. But not what we're seeing today is a burning hatred. A burning hatred for mankind just because you may disagree with someone else. That's not who you're supposed to be as the redeemed. That's not who we're supposed to be as the redeemed. You may have your disagreements, but never allow this burning hatred to form in our hearts towards somebody who believes differently than us. And so the passage here, as Paul is writing, he's writing to this young pastor. He says, this is who we used to be. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, all these things. And then in verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Look at this. He saved us. And not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, with whom he poured out onto us richly through who? Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. We are the redeemed. And He has rescued us from this life abundantly. What a beautiful picture of the relationship between the Redeemer and the redeemed. You know, today as, as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, if we don't stand in the awe of God. And what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us if we as the redeemed don't see the gospel as the greatest news that we've ever heard in our life? Let us stand as the redeemed in perfect amazement of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us when he went to the cross. Something we could never do on our own. Only a few more seconds to give you these other two things. Other two pieces of the redemption story. The third one is this, the redeeming price. The redeeming price. It's important for us to look at this because as we think about Jesus being our Redeemer, He had to pay the price with something. And it wasn't currency. It wasn't money. It was His blood. Going back to our text in Ephesians 1, it says this, In Him, we have redemption through what? His blood. In Him, we have redemption. He is the Redeemer. We are the redeemed. He paid the price. But how did He pay that price? 
He paid that price with his life. He prayed that price with his blood. It was his blood that atoned for our sins. It was Jesus who died for me. It was Jesus who died for you. He hung on that cross. He bled. His blood was spilled for the atonement, for the forgiveness of our sin. And this is hugely significant as we think about the price. We sing about in worship about Jesus paying the price and paying the price with his blood. What does all this mean? You see, one of the things that we realize as we read the the Bible from from cover to cover is that atonement of sin by blood sacrifice, it began with the Mosaic Covenant. You see, by law, the, the, the priest would have to make an animal sacrifice, therefore spilling the blood on the altar for the atonement of sins. But you see, there was a limited effect or limited power in that blood. And by the time we have Jesus who comes, we recognize Jesus as our Savior, our Redeemer, and we recognize Him as the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one who lived a life with no sin. He's the one that went to the cross. He's the one who was nailed to the cross and bled. He's the one who died on the cross and His blood was spilled out of Him. His blood spilling over for the atonement of our sin. And one of the things that we come to realize in this new covenant that we now have with Jesus Christ is we have this new covenant. His blood is power. And what His blood brings to us is eternal security. We never have to sacrifice animals again. There's no more blood to be spilled. He spilled it. So His blood, the payment For our sin, it becomes so important that we understand this. Look at Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12 with me here as we get ready to close out this service here this morning. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not one made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood as thus securing eternal, what? Redemption. Jesus' blood was spilt for us once and only once. And the power of his blood is sufficient for eternity. Our redemption paid for by the blood of Christ forever. And finally, here's the last piece of the, of the redemption story that I want to offer to you this morning, and that is the redeeming pardon. This is what we're all thankful for. This is why we celebrate Jesus every Sunday morning by coming in here and gathering together as a faith family this morning. In Him, it says, in verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, and here's what His blood has done for us. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our sin. We must understand this aspect of the redemption story. We must understand what, what this means for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we celebrate every Sunday, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, maybe you're here today and you go, well, so what in the world does this have to do with me? What in the world does this have to do with me? And I would say, everything. It has everything to do with you. This story is not just a story. It's the story of redemption and maybe you're here today and you've been redeemed or maybe you're here today and you haven't been redeemed but this story is relevant for every single person in this room. Every single person outside of this building 
This story is relevant for every one of our children meeting in the other room. This story means everything to every one of us this morning. Here's what the gospel does for us. The gospel comes to you and it says this. It says you are a sinner. That's what the gospel does. It says you are a sinner and the wages of your sin is death. And the wages of your sin is eternal separation from a holy and righteous God. You're a sinner. And death is what is owed you. Bam, there's the bad news. But see, the gospel also comes to you and it says, but hold on because you see, a provision has been made for you. A provision has been made for you. And this is where the good news begins to collide with the bad news. This provision is that the Father loves you so deeply despite who you are as a sinner that the Father loves you so deeply that He is willing to send His Son, His only Son, to come to this earth living a very short life only to go to the cross a beaten man, a mocked man, to be nailed to that cross, his blood to be spilled, to die on that cross, to be taken down from that cross, to play, be placed into a borrowed tomb so that the Father in three days could raise him from the dead, therefore having victory over sin and death. And the Scriptures tell us that anyone who comes to Christ will be redeemed. That's what the gospel does for us. That's what this story of redemption does for us. Romans 5.8 says this, God shows His love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me, let me ask you a question here, and this is rhetorical. If God had a great love for you while you were yet still a sinner, and that He was willing to save you of your sins by sending His Son to die, then why would there be a lack of peace in our life as the redeemed? Why would there be anxiety and worry in our life as the redeemed over eternal security? Why would we worry about that? You know, it's so amazing to me how many people who are believers in Christ Jesus still worry if they're doing good enough for Jesus. When the Scriptures say that while you were yet still a sinner, Christ saved you. He redeemed you. This morning we have just walked through the story of redemption. And I want to invite you this morning to just bow your heads this moment. This morning, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Every person... Bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to invite your, I want to invite you to just do that this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I want to invite you to just rest. Just rest. Just rest for a moment. No matter who you are this morning, please hear me. No matter who you are this morning, Jesus wants to set you free. And He wants to keep you free. Anyone who comes to Jesus receives the gift of redemption. Anyone who comes to Jesus. And I believe that Jesus wants to invite you this morning to be a part of His wonderful plan, to be His children, to be, pe be His people, and to rest in Him. Could it be that this morning your response 
whether lost or saved, is Jesus, I want to accept your gift of salvation. And I want to accept the gift of peace. Jesus offers the peace to us as the redeemed that surpasses all understanding that goes beyond our greatest expectation. Our altar is here. If you want to come in just a moment and pray and our pastors will be down front. I'll be down front if you want someone to speak to or maybe after the service in the connection room. But let us rest for just a moment in who our Redeemer is. And let us respond however God's leading us to respond. Let us come to this altar and pray. Let us do whatever it is that God is telling us to do this morning. Let us be a people of God who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You, Father, for the gift of life and the life that is abundant. And Father, I just want to pray for each and every person that's here this morning because the reality is that there's there's probably something in every one of our lives where we find ourselves worrying. We find ourselves uncertain. We find ourselves unsure. We find ourselves fearful. Father, there's probably something in every one of our lives here this morning that says, I really wish Jesus would take this from me. And so, Father, I pray for each and every person that's in this room today that we would be receptive to your voice, that we would hear clearly that which you're wanting to teach us, and that, Father, our response would be one in which we turn to you, and God, we recognize you as the redeemed, and we recognize ourselves as the redeemer. We recognize that the price that was paid was the blood of our Savior, and that the pardon we receive is one of forgiveness. And Father, we would never, we would never take that for granted. God, bring into our life the peace that surpasses all understanding. And may we give you our life as we follow you. Father, I love you and I praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.